We're reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, the last half of the chapter. This, of course, is part of the farewell discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples. This portion is, they're still in the upper room, and chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, almost 25% of the Gospel of John is the words of Jesus in this particular discourse, reading now from starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we have already noticed, this farewell discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples in the upper room, following the time in which he has washed their feet, and they have participated in the Passover meal together, the supper, the time in which Jesus constituted and and gave us the Lord's Supper with his disciples. This period of time, Jesus is teaching an enormous amount of material. So much, in fact, that some scholars believe that Jesus had taught these things to them on other occasions, especially in the last quadrant of his ministry. 
He had told them about going away. He had told them about going to the Father. He had told them about the, the imminence of his death. He had told them about the coming of the Spirit and many of these other things that, that are in here. He had talked to them consistently about loving him and loving the Father and keeping the Father's commandments, which, of course, by the way, is the teaching of Moses. This is found in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. We are to love God and to keep his commandments. And since Jesus insisted that he, of course, had come from God, that he was God's son, that he was God himself, he asked them to manifest that in an outward, tangible way by keeping his commandments. It wasn't just Moses' word, but Moses had written of him. And so it's Jesus' commandments. And Jesus had adopted and adapted and full filled out the meaning of so many of those commandments. And we read about them in the other Gospels as well, especially in the Gospel of Matthew. So this material, a lot of it was not brand new to the disciples, but this is a, 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 an overview of so much of what Jesus wanted his people, his disciples to know, especially with the words you see there where he says that the ruler of this world is coming. Judas had just left the meeting not too many moments earlier. He had gone out to meet with those who would crucify Christ. Jesus was feeling the the pressure and the weight of the hour that was coming upon him. And he knew that his remarks must be brief. And he was teaching them at the very end where it says, Let us arise and go from here. Most believe that this was Jesus leaving the upper room and beginning with his disciples the walk out across the city streets there in Jerusalem down to the Kidron Brook and across the Kidron Valley into the garden where would be the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would pray and the disciples would sleep. And then, of course, in in the darkness of the night, Judas and the band from the temple would come to arrest Jesus. So here's the con That's the context. And Jesus is teaching so many things. Uh, I just have time to mention a couple. In fact, um, I'll just follow the lead of our new associate pastor, Paul, who said, let's talk about the helper. There are five passages in this discourse that speak of the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit, called twice in these passages, not this one and another one, uh, the spirit of truth, the authentic, true Holy Spirit of God. Uh, A little bit of, can I teach for a minute? A little bit of the difficulty with understanding this is the translation of the word helper. Um, When we think of helper, we think sometimes as someone that is subservient to, someone who is not taking initiative, not really planning, not really in charge, just as kind of an assistant, a helper, someone that goes along to sort of fetch a few things and to to run a few errands and to maybe encourage and to hold up. And uh, certainly that's not lost, but it's much more than that. In fact, the scholars have had difficulty down through the years translating a word, and it's the word parakletos, parakletos or paraklete. And it means, para means beside of, like a paragraph is a writing alongside of. 
para alongside of, and the word kletos is the word to call. It's the word we get in uh, the call of us to be disciples. It's a, it's a very common word used. The two words together making the compound word mean someone who is called alongside, called alongside to render aid or to render, render help. And that's why the ESV uh, uh, translators liked the word helper because it's sort of part of the, of the root meaning. Someone called alongside to render help, to render aid. But it's, it's more than that. It is someone that is called alongside to provide strength, fortitude, to be someone that enables, someone that gives ability, someone that gives uh, direction and strength in accomplishing a task. It's though there's a job that needs to be done and it cannot be done without this one who comes alongside to give you the muscle and the brains and the will and the determination. In fact, the King James writers liked the word comfort. And so this one is called a comforter. Well, in the old English, coming from the Latin, calm, meaning together, like a community, together. And fort was forte, strength, to fortify, a fortress. Now, that's a good English word uh, in Shakespeare's day. <laughs> In Queen Elizabeth's day, that was still a good word. But it means someone who comes alongside to strengthen, to enable, to render aid in the sense of not just giving you a band-aid, but giving you life support. A comforter. That's a good translation of it. But it's more than that. The comforter, the helper... The Holy Spirit of God is someone who comes alongside not just to render aid, not just to give strength and empowerment, but someone that comes along to be an advocate. In fact, the Latin word advocate, which means to or toward, odd, invocate, means to speak for. If you speak for. An advocate is someone that speaks for someone. We think principally, and it even has in its Latin equivalent, it has a legal uh, connotation. An advocate is a lawyer, an attorney, a, someone who can come and, and speak on behalf of. But, but in the ancient world, it wasn't just an attorney that would be a defense attorney that would defend you. It was certainly that. That's what the, the advocate does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He defends us. He defends us from the wiles of the devil. He defends us from temptation. He defends us from all sorts of things that could happen. He is a defender in that way. But it is someone who, who also prosecutes. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, later in this discord, Jesus said that he will come and he will speak of sin and judgment in other words, there's a prosecuting aspect to what the Holy Spirit does. Has the Holy Spirit ever prosecuted your conscience? I hope so. Has the Holy Spirit ever whispered to you that you are a sinner or a particular activity or a particular behavior of yours is out of line with the commandments of God and you say you love God but you're not keeping His commandments and He does what we call convict? 
It sounds like a jury. <laughs> he convicts you of sin. Well, that's entailed in this notion of the paraclete. The paraclete is a prosecutor. But there's, there's another dimension to the paraclete. The paraclete is not only one who, who defends and advocates and provides a verbal, but an advocate is a friend. In fact, it, it's not so much legal language as it is friendship language. It's someone that comes in and witnesses and testifies on your behalf. It's not just that the paraclete is a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney, but it is a witness. It's someone that is amicus, that is a friend of the person that has the case. And so this this paraclete comes and speaks on behalf of someone. And as we get over into the text, we find out who the paraclete is speaking on behalf of. Jesus said, he will testify, get that language, that legal language, he will testify of me. The paraclete comes to us testifying, witnessing to Christ. It is the paraclete who will come to us and convince us, overcome every objection in our mind, overcome every uh, uh, thought that we have, against Christ and will turn our hearts and turn our minds toward Christ. He will testify to Christ's power, to Christ's deity, to Christ's mercy, Christ's love. He will bear witness that Christ in the gospel comes to us with a sin-bearing mission to take our sins upon Himself and to bear them and to bring to us eternal life. It is the paraclete who comes to be the main preacher of the gospel, if you will. Calvin says that the gospel has to go two ways. It has to bounce off your ears. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But but he says it has to come to human ears. And here's the poor preacher up here putting the gospel into your ears. But it's the Spirit of God, the Advocate, the the paraclete, the, the, the testimony and the witness, the friend of Jesus, as it were, who comes to speak to your heart and to warm and to fill your heart and to enlighten your understanding and to remove your objections and to shine the gospel that moves the dark and the ignorant and the sinful things out of the way. The paraclete is someone who also, there's a slight medical dimension to the paraclete. The paraclete comes to bind up the wounded, to pour in the oil, the balm of Gilead, to soothe the sin-sick soul, as the old spiritual says. The paraclete is someone that comes to your heart bringing the application, the results, the benefits of the gospel. No wonder Jesus said in the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bind up the wounded. That's something of the mission of the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate. 
He comes to us. Now, this is an extremely rich theological passage. In fact, if we were in a theology class, we would have a lot of joy working through here because you hear Jesus, the Son, speaking about the Father, being sent by the Father, returning to the Father, knowing the Father, being in the Father, the Father being relationships. We hear him speaking now of the Helper, of the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. So this is one of several passages of Scripture that's rich in Trinitarian relationships, how that each member, each person of the one God, the triune God, the three in one, how they relate to one another. They each have to each other an I-thou-he relationship. That is, they can speak of I, he, speaking of the other, one of the other members of the triune God. And then you speaking directly to one of the members. In fact, Jesus even refers, he says, I will ask the Father and he will send the Spirit. And there's many, many statements in this passage as it expands on into the next, where you really begin to see that working relationship, that, that love and that interdependency and that, that uh, uh, triune God at work, never working at cross purposes, never working against each other, and never working out of balance. One more thing, and I'm just going to add this. I'm supposed to be through right now according to my, my plan. <laughs> but there's so much here. But one thing that just strikes me, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. <laughs> now, you know, an orphan is when someone has lost their parents. And it's usually we think of a child. But if this, this word was used in classical literature to designate the disciples of a philosopher. When Socrates died, his disciples, Plato and others, were orphans. And that's kind of the way Jesus is. He's the rabbi, he's the teacher, doing an immense amount of teaching at this point. And when he leaves, he knows that he is going to leave them bodily. He's going to a cross, he's going to a tomb, he's going to eventually go to the skies, to the right hand of the Father... He tells them he'll come back. They'll see him again in the post-resurrection appearances. They'll see him again at the ascension. But they won't see him again in his full manifest glory until they get to heaven, the place he's prepared, and until he manifests himself in the parousia, the return, the coming back of Christ in the second coming of Christ. There'll be days, there'll be times down the road, but they won't see him right away. They'll be, feel like they're completely abandoned. But he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper. And in that, in that promise, the word another means another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus says, I'm a teaching master, teaching rabbi to you. Teaching and instructing and bringing you along and loving you and caring for you. I'm doing all that for you. Well, that work will never stop. Because the comforter will come, the helper will come, the paraclete will come. And when he comes, he'll be just like me. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance the things that I have taught you. 
And, and the process of being cared for, shepherded, loved by Jesus just keeps on going without any change at all. He's a paraclete, an advocate of the same kind as Christ. And to me, that's where we find our comfort, is knowing that it's the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says here will come and be with us, among us, and in us. And we know the story of Pentecost, and and we know that when we have the Holy Spirit of God in us doing His work, multifaceted work, that it is Jesus Himself shepherding us, loving us, teaching us, drawing us, guiding us, forgiving us, healing us spiritually as well as physically. It is no loss, no downturn, no drop-off in the ministry of Christ to our souls. His Spirit is about the task and on the job, being our, let's just say, helper.